WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. One in five people will experience mental illness in their lifetime. However, due to the stigma behind mental health, that's such a barrier for people to actually receive mental health care. To tell us more about this, we're tied to Isabel John and Lauren Wickland. Hi, Isabel and Lauren. Thanks for joining us today. May you please tell us about your research? Hi, my name is Isabel John. I am a fourth-year undergraduate at MSU, majoring in psychology. Lauren and I are studying what kind of messaging best reduce mental health stigma. So we have created an intervention study that looks at what kind of messaging will improve people's opinions of mental health the best. Hi, I'm Lauren Wickland. I'm a fourth-year graduate student in the clinical psychology doctoral program at MSU. My research focuses broadly on intersecting marginalized identities related to sexuality, race, and gender, how they interact with sexual wellness and psychological well-being and resilience. And so a part in all of that is right the barrier to receiving mental health services. So I was really excited to work with Izzy on her project related to reducing mental health stigma. It's very nice to meet you, Isabel and Lauren. You two are actually the first people on our show that have performed an intervention study. So I thought we'd start off with that. Could you explain a little bit about what an intervention study is and how one carries that out? So basically what we do is we give a pretest. For our study, we had various questions asking about people's opinions and behavior towards people with mental illness. And then we showed a quick educational video. And then we gave the same test after the video to see how opinions had changed. So basically an interventional study is also called like an experimental design where we as researchers put in an intervention to see if one group responds differently or does something differently based on that intervention. So like Izzy was describing, right, we had two groups that saw different types of messaging and we were trying to see if they would then have a different behavior or attitudes towards mental health stigma after receiving the intervention. That makes a lot of sense to me because you're actually intervening after you get their opinions before, but then you also get their opinions after as well. You said that you all are showing them an educational video. What is in this video and what kind of messages are you telling them? Because mental health is such a broad category. Are you specifically focusing on one type of mental illness or are you focusing on a broad aspect of them? So we didn't focus specifically on one mental illness. That's actually an aspect of stigma where people who are more stigmatized when they hear mental illness, they automatically think of someone with severe schizophrenia who can't function, whereas in reality, that's a very small portion of people with mental illness. A lot of people are very high functioning. So generally what we showed in the videos, they both contained some facts about mental health. Like, as you said, one in five people will have mental illness in their lifetime. And they both included a speaker that told their personal story of their experience with a mental illness. And the two videos that we showed, one of them focused on normalcy and one of them focused on solidarity. What normalcy means is normalcy promotes the idea that people with mental illness are normal. 
So saying that it happens to a lot of people, it's not different, it's not weird, it's common. But with solidarity, solidarity focuses more on it's an issue, but that's okay, and focuses more on trying to encourage people to get help, go to therapy, go to psychiatrists, and stuff like that. Yeah, so the examples of videos that we used were pretty explicit, right? It was a person talking directly and transparently about their own experience and speaking about that in the two different ways that Izzy was mentioning. But I think it's also important to think about how this type of messaging, right, can also involve really broad kind of things that we consume all day, all the time through media, like social media, what we read in magazines and and see online, what's kind of shown in pop culture culture, TV shows, things like that, right? Where we are constantly receiving messages about what is normal and or what are things to be ashamed of and what is stigmatized. And so that sort of messaging is where, right, feeling that that stigma or shame about a mental illness can kind of come into and be internalized by folks. And so we are curious to see kind of if there is a specific way of combating that either through normalcy or solidarity to reduce that stigma. Thanks for explaining those two terms, the idea behind normalcy and solidarity, and their importance when it comes to defeating that mental health stigma. In this intervention study, though, what was the more of the priority? Did you find that normalcy was more important to instill when it comes to the participants, or was solidarity something that would make more of an impact? So basically what we did is we split participants up into two groups, and we had two videos one that was entirely focused on normalcy and one entirely focused on solidarity. And then we compared the changes in opinions between the two groups to see which video improved opinions better. So we actually had some interesting results. The normalcy group saw significant improvements in stigmatizing attitudes, whereas the solidarity group saw a significant improvement in behaviors So the normalcy group was more likely to have positive opinions towards mental illness after the intervention, but the solidarity group was more inclined to behave positively towards people with mental illness. So from that study, we really couldn't determine which one was better because both aspects are really important in reducing stigma. Because, you know, if behaviors don't change, then the stigma is still there. But if you're behaving positively, but you don't have those good opinions, then it, that it's kind of fake. I'd like to get to know more about the people who you were asking for these different groups, like their demographics. Can you tell us a little about the people that you surveyed for this? Yeah, so we used exclusively MSU undergraduate students. In terms of their demographics, it was pretty diverse. We had students ranging from their first year of undergrad to their fifth plus year of undergrad. We had all ethnicity, gender, very diverse in terms of demographic information, but it was just MSU undergrads. So while it was really great to have access to such a diverse sample using MSU undergraduate students, we did find that the majority of participants were psychology majors, which we think might have had something to do with our findings, given that we were trying to explore beliefs about mental health. And our primary kind of sample were people that probably already knew something about mental health, given that they were psychology majors, which is why we're excited for the next phase of this study, where we'll be expanding into a more general um, adult population in the United States.
one thing I think about when I hear about this wide range of different diverse opinions that you're able to collect is how mental health disparities can impact different identity groups. Lauren, I remember that you had mentioned you're studying the intersection of marginalized identities and mental health services. Could you talk a little bit about what you found? Yeah. In this study, we actually did not find any differences based on race, sexuality, ethnicity, or gender. There were no significant differences in baseline beliefs about mental health stigma or post kind of test results. Continuing off of what you had said earlier, you had mentioned that you all are thinking about expanding this to adults and a larger general population. For this experiment, are you going to keep it to the same educational videos that you had for the two different groups with normalcy and solidarity? Or are you maybe going to expand or even change components of the videos? So we will be using the same two videos that we used previously, except we will be adding a third control video that will have nothing to do with mental health stigma or anything like that. We're going to see how opinions change between taking the survey once and taking it a second time and compare that to the two groups that saw the videos. And we're also going to be adding a second post-test. It will be the same test that they took the previous two times, but we'll be giving it a week after they see the intervention. So we'll be able to see how lasting the effects of the videos are. Could you give us a couple of examples of questions that you would ask? And how do you know that these are effective questions to start off with? We used established questionnaires that have been tested by other psychologists to determine that they're reliable and consistent in showing levels of stigma. We used different measures that assessed stigmatizing behaviors towards mental illness and stigmatizing knowledge towards mental illness. So some example questions would be, would you want to work with someone who has a mental illness? Would you want to live with someone who has a mental illness? How would you feel if you found out that your best friend had been diagnosed with a mental illness? And then the knowledge asks about, do most people with a mental illness have a job? So we used three existing measures used to assess the levels of mental health stigma. We used the CAMI, which is the Community Attitudes Towards Mental, mental Illness. We used the MAX, which is the Mental Health Knowledge Schedule. And we used the RIBS, which is the Reported and Intended Behavior Schedule. So basically, they assessed three different aspects of stigma. The CAMI assesses attitudes. The MAX assesses knowledge about mental health, and the RIBS assesses behavior towards mental health. I'm glad that we have a clearer picture now about what kind of questions these participants were asked so that we can truly understand their experience and this study. With the information that you've gathered from this study, how do you think you can apply it to the real world so that we can actually influence people to help destigmatize mental health? Well, our goal is that we can ultimately figure out how to best reduce stigma. There are a limited number of resources that people have to use to educate the public on mental health. So if we can figure out what kind of messaging will make those resources most effective, we can make the biggest difference. And the CDC had identified stigma as the number one barrier to receiving mental health care. So if we can reduce stigma, we can assume that more people will be willing to go get treatment for mental illness. 
And that's our ultimate goal, is to make mental health care more accessible and encourage people to use those resources. So like Isabel said, resources are tight, particularly when it comes to public health intervention and messaging, particularly for mental health. So the purpose of trying to find out which type of messaging is the best is so that resources and funds can go towards promoting that type of messaging in hopes of reducing barriers to accessing mental health. So while it could look like a video, I think that the type of messaging around normalcy or solidarity could also come in the form of the many ways that public health communication exists in our world today in flyers, written kind of the posters and things that you see like around campus. A lot of the different ways we've received messaging around COVID-19, right, in the past 18 months, like that's all a form of public health messaging. And I could see something very similar with something like normalcy or solidarity messaging to reduce mental health stigma and encourage folks to seek mental health treatment. Yeah, hopefully whenever your participants finish with the study, they leave with a more positive outlook, the idea behind mental health and how important it can be to seek help. A question I just thought of right now actually is more related to the video that you used. Did the video come from some sort of repository of psychology videos that are available to different researchers, or did these videos come from your laboratory that you created yourselves? It's actually a mix of the two. We used two different TED Talks that were given by individuals, and then we edited them to make sure that they contained only normalcy or solidarity messaging. Sometimes the lines can get a little blurred in terms of one, you know, you can say something normalizing, but then also something supporting solidarity. So we cut all that out for the purpose of the experiment to make sure that it was just normalcy and solidarity. But the TED Talks were published and given as just educational talks. Yeah, speaking to kind of what we were talking about earlier, right? Media is everywhere and so accessible these days. So they were free TED Talks off of YouTube. And I think that's also a good example of just showing the many ways that we see and can consume different messaging about mental health. Yeah, I completely agree. And what Isabel was saying about how difficult it could be to separate the normalcy and solidarity really stuck with me because I honestly am having a hard time wrapping my head around the idea that people could behave positively but not have positive opinions. Can you give examples about ways that you can improve someone's behavior but not improve their opinion? So I think of behavior is, particularly in the way that we were measuring in this study, behavior was asking about things that you have done or you will do. And so I think there is a bit of a difference. And I agree with you, right? Like our opinions and our thoughts do impact our behavior. And if you feel that you're kind of never in a situation or environment where you would act on those behaviors, so in this case, it might be like one has opinions about mental illness, but they've never been around anyone with mental illness, perhaps, which mental illness that they know about, right? Because what we know about mental illness is that likely you have been around someone with mental illness and maybe you just didn't know it. But thinking, right, that's a part of that stigmatizing belief that you kind of only think of these really rare and severe and it's like stigmatized kind of stereotypes that you can have beliefs or opinions and ideas, attitudes, but not ever kind of act on them until you are in a situation. So I think that there is some space in there where those two can not align, but then you see a negative behavior come out once you are in that situation. 
I think something else to note here is that for both groups, both opinions and behaviors did improve. It was just that for the normalcy group, the opinions improved significantly, whereas for the solidarity group, the behaviors improved significantly. So they are definitely connected. It's just we don't know yet which is more important, changing opinions or changing behaviors. So since we can't decide which framework is more effective, hopefully in our next study we'll be able to see a group that is both significantly approved in opinions and behaviors so that we can determine which one is more effective. Hopefully in the next phase of our study, we'll see a group that has significant improvements in both opinions and behaviors so that we can determine that that framework is more effective. We had said earlier that one of the things that makes your results a little finicky about your first study is that most of the people that had participated in your survey were psychology majors. How do you think the results that you acquired now versus the study that you plan to do with a more general population would change? We hope to get a more accurate representation of the population as a whole. As Lauren said earlier, psychology majors already have a pretty good understanding of mental health. And the participants started out at a very low level of stigma, which isn't really accurate in terms of the general population. So we hope that in the next phase of our study, we'll be able to see people who aren't so educated on mental health and see how the videos affect their opinion. So the other thing I think that will be interesting to see in a broader kind of more hopefully nationally representative population, Isabel commented on education levels, which hopefully we'll see a diversity of educational levels. I'm also thinking that age might play a role. This is anecdotally, I think, what I'm perceiving from the media and social media and how younger folks are talking about mental health. I feel like it's a really different conversation than we were having 10, you know, 20 years ago. And so I think it'll be interesting to see more of a nationally representative where the general population is at in mental health stigma and how this messaging can change that. Yeah, I agree, because you would already imagine that a psychology major would already think that mental health is important. So I would really enjoy to hear in the future what your results are for a much wider range of your survey population. Thank you so much for joining us today. Talk to us about your very impactful and interesting research. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. It was great talking to you. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. To hear more about us and learn more about our episodes, check out scifiles.org. If you're a current MSU student that would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll catch you next week on the Sci-Files, and remember, the truth is in the science.